W-A-R-T, your local, homegrown, non-GMO, organic, locally produced FM station from beautiful downtown Marshall, North Carolina. started. So, no, uh, what does it cost? Who cares? It'll make reality less painful. Great balls of Come fire. On, hurry up, get oh, it for Uh, Hey girl, I met you. There's someone out to get you. You'll find him anywhere. On a bus, in a bar, in a grocery store. He'll say, excuse me. Haven't I seen you?
you, wherever you are, whether you're at home or whatever, to uh, kick your shoes off and put your feet up and lean back and uh, get yourself a cup of coffee or something and just relax and join us in enjoying some very quiet and romantic and relaxed music for a couple of hours.
Hey, I can't find nothing on the radio. Uh, you'll turn to that station.
Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. The Magic Mushroom Hour with your host, Omega. They don't want to hurt anybody or anything. They just want to live inside others' heads.
Oh. Oh, my. No, no, why do you want to go and create a problem like that? Oh.
against the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees the right to be left alone. It requires that the government can only come onto private property without the consent of the occupant if it has a search warrant. And search warrants may only be issued by judges, and judges may only issue search warrants after they have found probable cause of a crime on the property. For 200 years, this right to privacy was more often than not respected by the government. Then after 9-11, our freedoms began to unravel. Congress enacted the Patriot Act. It permits federal agents to write their own search warrants and serve them on persons who have custody of your records. That includes your grocer, your telephone company, your computer server, your car dealer, your jeweler, your bodega, your lawyer, your banker, your doctor, even your mailman. Well, how can the government capture your computer keystrokes as you type them or read your mail before you receive it? Because it doesn't care about the Constitution. Oh, you look so good. 
And the world walks in between Surrounded on the wings of love See and let yourself be seen See and let yourself be seen For tomorrow never comes If you wield the rod Answer to your God But me, I'll be up and gone
hasn't yet made up her mind if she'll take me I see my love stone and deep wrap my future at your feet for a simple life for love asleep You can take me Cause every day gets stronger And every day grows and grows And I can't wait much longer
Thanks for joining us tonight. It's a real pleasure to have you on board and sharing your evening with us. Oh, right on, Dale. I am.
going to be all right. It's going to be all right tonight. Here at the pub. Magic Mushroom Hour with your host, Omega. <laughs> Untied 
with every wave of emotion We seem to drown the child inside You think it's the future, but it's really the past.
see what you want to see, and you hear what you want to hear. Compared to the people, 
The planet is doing great. It's been here four and a half billion years. Did you ever think about the arithmetic? Planet has been here four and a half billion years. We've been here, what, 100,000? Maybe 200,000? And we've only been engaged in heavy industry for a little over 200 years. 200 years versus four and a half billion. And we have the conceit to think that somehow we're a threat? That somehow we're going to put in jeopardy this beautiful little blue-green ball that's just a-floating around the sun? The planet has been through a lot worse than us. Been through all kinds of things worse than us. Been Soft and tender love will always shine for me. I love you. Now I know what it means to have you gone. I'm down on my knees, baby, see by me.
There ain't nothing pointless about this gig.
can believe me, because I never lie, and I'm always right. So wake up and take a look at your only logical choice. Enjoy the two hours we have every night together, and the music you probably can't hear anywhere else. Tell your friends, please. Tune in to WART or to the MagicMushroomHour.com. 
playing 24 hours a day.
we've had just about enough of your shenanigan for today, Phil.
fascism is when corporations become the government. Yes. And that's sort of what we have. And poverty has gone up. So 17...
Smarty Pants Communist, Mr. College Professor, Mr. Beatnik, Mr. Hippie. What have you done for me lately?
I want to thank you personally for taking this musical trip with me tonight. I appreciate all your support and hope you find a little music worth listening to. You know, some music you're not going to hear elsewhere. This is Omega, signing off until tomorrow night. Remember, it's all about the music and nothing more.
gotta do is open your mind along with your eyes.
delightful, refreshing bubble up. How you'll love its tangy kiss of lemon, kiss of lime flavor. It's a cinch. You can't pick your best with sewer chap fans. Don't put up with that condition. Get Cotton Picker's Friends on sale at all good drug and general merchandise stores for only 30 and 50 cents per bottle. Remember the name, Cotton Picker's Friends. Yeah, is that Sandra and Lena? Spend my days with a woman unkind, smoke my stuff and drink. All my life Made up my mind Make a new star Going to California with an aching In my heart Someone told me There's a girl out there With love in her eyes and flowers In her hair Chances on a big jet plane Never let them tell you that we're all, all the same Oh, the sea was red and the sky was gray Wanted how tomorrow could ever follow today Mountains in the canyon started to tremble and shake The children of the sun begin
is Peggy with Onstall. Our sensors indicate that you're having intercourse in the backseat of your father's Chevrolet Suburban.
outside my window is a tree there only for me and it stands in the gray of the city no time for pity for the tree of me
the beaver. Today on Earth Focus, neonicotinoids. Is the world's most widely used pesticide destroying the base of the food chain? Coming up on Earth Focus. 
they're a mutagen. They are extremely persistent and extremely mobile. They are now found routinely in stream samples as well as well samples across the United States. If it's going to affect everything from honeybees to earthworms, uh, that is serious in and of itself. Neonicotinoids are among the most widely used pesticides in the world. They bring in billions in profits for the companies that make them. But now, growing evidence shows that these insecticides are not only killing target pests, they are killing many beneficial species and destroying the base of the food chain. This has happened before. Are they the new DDT? We don't want to have an insecticide that kills things it shouldn't. We've been somehow railroaded by agrochemical companies into relying entirely on their products. And I think we should be really concerned. It began with honeybees. In 2006, large numbers of worker bees began to abruptly disappear from honeybee colonies. Since then, beekeepers have been losing 30% or more of their hives annually, losses that are higher than normal. This phenomenon came to be called colony collapse disorder. New York State beekeeper Jim Doan saw it firsthand. I've worked in bees for now 46 years. And so I know what normal looked like, and what we've seen over the last six or seven years is not normal. Honeybee loss has consequences for the economy. One third of food produced in the U.S. depends on honeybee pollination. We are putting at risk several hundred billion dollars of product every year. It is significant because the crops that are pollinated are some of them that really add uh, diversity and vitality uh, to our diet. Honeybee losses have been linked to multiple factors like pesticides, habitat degradation, malnutrition, pathogens, and varroa mite infestations. For pesticide manufacturer Bear Crop Science, the issue is clear. Most experts agree that the single greatest threat to honeybee health is the varroa mite, an invasive, blood-sucking pest that both directly parasitizes young and adult bees and vectors bee diseases. Where varroa mites are absent or well-controlled, honeybees are thriving. But Jim says he knows why his bees are dying. We had a multitude of neonics that were showing up in our bees. It doesn't take much to kill a bee. Neonicotinoids are a relatively new class of insecticide coming on the scene in the 1990s. It is the fastest growing group of insecticides in the United States. For the companies that make them, neonicotinoids, or neonics, are big business. They bring in over $2.6 billion a year in global sales. They are widely used as seed treatments, applied as soil drench, or sprayed onto foliage. In the U.S., they are used on some 200 million acres of cropland, on almost all corn, canola, and half of all soybean crops, as well as many fruits and vegetables. They are used in home and garden products, often at concentrations that are far higher than those you will find in the agricultural sector. Millions of pounds of these insecticides are used in urban and suburban areas. And in urban areas, we're usually doing it to have the perfect rows. 
or the nicest rhododendron or a lawn without any insect pests in it. Manufacturers argue the pest-fighting power of neonics is indispensable to American agriculture. Without neonics, consumers would pay higher prices for food, farm exports would be less competitive, and the U.S. economy would suffer. In the 1940s, we had the organochlorine insecticides, such as DDT and endosulfin, and initially, these pesticides were viewed as a miracle chemistry. We started using more and more of these as industrial agriculture took hold in the 50s, 60s, um, and really this is what Rachel Carson talked about in Silent Spring. Using all these insecticides was really leading to what she felt was a collapse of uh, biodiversity. We were killing the underpinning of, uh, of the food chain. By the 1970s, regulators were rushing to get these organochlorine pesticides off the market because of their persistence in the environment and their possible link with birth defects, cancers, eggshell thinning in birds, and other problems. Long in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, really people started to think, well, we need something that is more targeted. We need chemicals that are not so broadly toxic to everything. And that's really where neonicotinoids came from. The idea was that these chemicals, although highly toxic to insects, are less acutely toxic to mammals. They're less acutely toxic to fish. They also thought, what if we can target them inside the plant? If we can target them inside the plant, this is going to be better because the animals outside the plant are not going to be affected. They became popular because they were used as a systemic insecticide. So you could apply it to the seed and it would just be put in the ground and the plant would take it up as it grows, eventually giving the plant protection from, from pests. They're found in the leaves, the stems, the roots, and the pollen and the nectar. And nobody really thought about that weak link, which was toxic pollen, toxic nectar, and toxic for a long time in these crops. Neonicotinoids are nerve toxins affecting the nervous system of organisms. Bayer Crop Science says they are safe for honeybees. Honeybee health in North America began to decline many years before neonicotinoids were in use. We've tested these products for many years, and in the field, under real exposure conditions, these products are safe, and we have lots of studies that show that. Many scientists whose research is not funded by the pesticide industry challenge the safety of neonics, saying that even low levels of exposure can affect the ability of honeybees to communicate and can suppress their immune system, making them more susceptible to viruses and varroa mites. The effects of these pesticides on the bees is manyfold. It affects reproduction. The navigational ability of the bees is impaired. They can't find their way home. If they can't find their way home, they can't bring resources back to the hive. The hive gets depleted of, of worker bees and forager bees, and the hive just crashes after that. And it's not only honeybees that are affected. 
we're seeing broad scale decline in really important pollinators like our bumblebees. Perhaps 30% of our bumblebees are in decline and a quarter of them at risk of extinction in the near uh, future. David Goulson, a scientist based in the United Kingdom, looked into how neonicotinoids affect bumblebees. We wanted to know what would happen to a bumblebee nest that was next to uh, a field of a flowering crop like canola that had been treated as a seed dressing with a neonicotinoid. So we simply took bumblebee nests and we either gave them healthy food for a fortnight or we gave them food that we'd uh, added um, uh, neonicotinoids to, to mimic the exact concentrations that would be in the pollen or nectar they gathered from a treated oilseed rape crop. And then we put the nests outside. They then had to forage for themselves, they had to fly out into the landscape and bring back food. We compared how well the nests did that were either treated or not treated. Uh, and the effects were really astonishing. We found that the control nests, the ones eating healthy food, grew faster, got much bigger. Compared to the treated nests, the treated nests produced 85% fewer new queens than the healthy, the, the control nests. And if that's happening with wild nests, which there's no reason to believe that it wouldn't be, then that means that the following spring there's going to be 85% fewer queen bees starting new nests, um, which you'd imagine it could have huge knock-on long-term effects um, if that's happening every year. And it's not only pollinators at risk. In June 2014, the Task Force on Systemic Pesticides, an independent group of scientists from 15 nations, found that neonics and the pesticide fipronil also harm birds, amphibians, reptiles, as well as terrestrial and aquatic invertebrates. Earthworms, vital for soil productivity, are especially vulnerable. Neonics affect their tunneling behavior and sperm quality. Jean-Marc Bonmartin of the National Center for Scientific Research in France was one of the lead authors of the group's findings. Notre conclusion c'est qu'il y a un lien de cause à effet euh, extrêmement clair entre le déclin de certaines espèces animales hein, qui sont des espèces bénéfiques et que, que les autorités veulent protéger et l'utilisation massive de ces insecticides euh, de type systémique. The task force says systemic pesticide contamination is so widespread that the diversity and stability of the world's ecosystems is at risk. The task force based its findings on an analysis of 800 peer-reviewed reports, the most comprehensive review of the scientific literature on systemic pesticides to date. Donc, on avait là, euh, finalement, en regardant toute cette bibliographie scientifique, suffisamment de preuves de leur impact négatif sur ces écosystèmes. When asked to comment, Bear Crop Science said the task force only looks at worst-case scenarios and that studies under realistic field conditions show that systemic pesticides do not harm honeybees, birds, or other wildlife. The main concern with neonics is that they have such a high toxicity to a broad range of invertebrates, terrestrial, and aquatic. They are extremely persistent and extremely mobile. And you put those three conditions together and you're talking about removal of a large segment of the invertebrate uh, community. They're accumulating in the soil, they're drawn up by hedgerow plants, by trees growing in farmland and so on. And so essentially anything that's living in farmland is being slowly poisoned all the time. 
The other thing that has come out is that they're much more water-soluble than everyone was led to believe. This means that when they get into the ground with water, they move readily in across the environment. They are now found routinely in stream samples as well as well samples across the United States. Birds like swifts and swallows depend on insects as a food source. If insects are killed in their breeding ground, usually a body of water, birds are deprived of food. The concentrations of the neonics in our waterways are sufficient to kill the aquatic invertebrate life on which these birds depend. In Canada, where neonicotinoids are widely used on crops, Dr. Christy Morrissey is also finding high levels of wetland contamination. She focuses her research in Canada's breadbasket, the prairie pothole region of Saskatchewan, where agricultural land is laced with potholes, small temporary ponds fed by snowmelt and rain. In uh, 2013, we found up to 90% of the ponds that we sampled in spring, even before the farmers were out seeding, had detectable levels of, of neonics in them. But our peak concentrations occurred after seeding, not surprising, particularly after rainfall events, at levels that were you know, upwards of, of uh, three parts per billion, which is, is well known to affect aquatic insects. With over 40% of the cropland in Canada's prairies treated with neonicotinoids, the impact on aquatic insects and the animals that rely on them for food could be significant. Dr. Morrissey's study is the first to look into this issue in Canada. We have a field study that's trying to understand how neonicotinoids potentially get into wetlands and whether or not they affect aquatic invertebrates which are the base of the food chain for all kinds of other wildlife species, and in particular, birds. So we're trying to link these three different things um, from, the, from the pesticide on the field to the, to the wetlands, to the bugs, and ultimately to the birds. We found that neonicotinoids across the board have a range of toxicity for the different insect species. But for a certain group, and particularly the mayflies and the midges, these species are extremely sensitive to neonicotinoids. The chicks, the young birds, need that supply of insects, as do the, uh, the female birds, the hens, when they're laying their eggs. They need that high-protein source. So there's some critical points in birds' life where insects are, are key and, and, and critical. And if the, the amount, the availability of insects is reduced, uh, it has been shown that that affects reproduction. So we put nest boxes up in um, different sites, some that are uncontaminated, that have no pesticide use, and in sites that are more agriculturally intensive that have um, extensive use of, of neonicotinoids. Morrissey is only a year and a half into a four-year study, but is already starting to see some alarming effects. The birds are lower body mass or poor body condition at some of these agriculturally intensive sites. So we know that there is some link or some correlation between how well the birds are doing in terms of their physiology and their health and their body condition and how many bugs or how abundant the bugs are. And that seems to relate well with, with the... Um, presence and, and levels of contamination in these ponds. 
There have been few studies to date on how neonics affect ocean life. This is an area of specialization for Dr. Craig Downs, and what he is learning is troubling. For example, imidacloprid can affect um, crab larvae as low as 50 parts per quadrillion. It affects their mitochondria at this level so that it's a mitochondrial poison. It can affect their muscles. Um, if the mitochondria are damaged in the muscles, it can cause paralysis. It also causes immune suppression in these crabs, meaning that they're much more susceptible to bacterial infections and fungal infections when co-exposed with imidacloprid. Crackdowns also studies the impact of imidacloprid on sea urchins. Neonicotinoids cause DNA damage in sea urchin sperm as low as 500 parts per trillion. It causes developmental abnormalities as low as five parts per trillion. It means that they're a mutagen. Um, it means there's a direct threat to the reproductive fitness of the entire biodiversity of marine environments. If you have damage to sperm or if you have damage to egg, the next generation will not be as fit or might not come into existence at all. Um, so it threatens sterility. The Mesoamerican Reef stretches 700 miles from the northern tip of Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula to Honduras. It is home to a wide diversity of marine life. And Dr. Downs found it is contaminated with neonicotinoids, largely as a result of runoff from agricultural fields. Eight years ago, a coral reef organism-wide survey was conducted to measure the amount of pesticides that could be found in at least 22 coral reef organisms, ranging from corals to queen conch to a number of coral reef fishes. What we discovered was that out of all the samples that we collected, 68% of the samples that we collected were contaminated with imidacloprid. 53% of the samples we collected were contaminated with fripanil, which is another systemic pesticide. So the level of contamination um, on a coral reef, especially the second largest barrier reef in the world, is pretty disturbing. If neonics harm animals, what about people? In human surrogates like rats and mice, neonics are linked to a wide range of disorders. And in human blood studies, they are linked to DNA damage and cell mutations. Federal agencies like the Environmental Protection Agency are really supposed to be um, managing these insecticides in a way that causes minimal harm to humans and other animals. Starting in the 1990s, agency scientists were raising red flags about the mobility, the persistence, the toxicity of these neonic products, including the effects on pollinators and other wildlife. EPA documents show agency scientists knew imidacloprid is highly toxic to songbirds, aquatic invertebrates, and honeybees as early as 1993. Yet EPA allowed imidacloprid on the U.S. market a year later. After decades of exposure, the consequences EPA scientists once warned about are now confirmed by the Task Force on Systemic Pesticides. And unfortunately, these chemicals are often, and I would say 
most of the time released before there is adequate information to show whether they are harmful in the environment. I think neonicotinoids are a prime example of that. EPA assesses risk posed by pesticides prior to their release on the market. Safety studies are typically conducted and paid for by pesticide manufacturers on their own product. EPA says its decisions are informed by the best science available. In addition to studies by manufacturers, EPA scientists review pesticide studies from peer-reviewed scientific journals and data from a wide variety of sources when they are available. But studies on pesticide safety that come out after a pesticide is on the market may not be evaluated by EPA until a pesticide comes up for review, a process that can take as long as 15 years. Farmers like Drew Stabler of Laytonsville, Maryland, say that neonics can be used safely and are indispensable to their business. Well, I think that any product that's on the market has been tested and proven to do a job, and, and we have faith in that process. Myself as a farmer, I've been farming 50, 60 years. I've been lucky enough to make a living doing what I like to do. And we try to use everything at, uh, that's been tested, been approved, been recommended at certain times and, and, and how much. Uh, we, we do that uh, both for the benefit of the environment and the benefit of a pocketbook. We keep hearing about the extra people in the world that need to be fed, so we can't back off on what our production abilities are. We feel we have to keep improving production abilities and uh, some of these products uh, will contribute to that. The reason that we're worried about neonicotinoids specifically is because they're being used at an unprecedented scale. Essentially it seems to me the agrochemical industry has persuaded everyone that they need these products as an insurance against a pest outbreak in their crop but actually most of the time these pests aren't there um, so you're insuring against something which is never going to happen. They have a real impact on natural enemies of the crop pests. We can cause secondary pest outbreaks because these chemicals are so efficient at killing the predators and the parasites of the crop pests. Perhaps 70% of the neonicotinoids used on soybeans in a seed treatment are not needed. There's no pest that they're controlling. So if we just used them only when they were needed, we could eliminate uh, insecticide use over millions of acres. Many people would say we need pesticides to grow the food to feed the, the growing world human population and that it may be a, a sort of necessary evil to, to sacrifice some wildlife along the way. Fine. So you then look to see, you try and weigh up the damage that neonicotinoids seem to be doing against the benefit we get from them in terms of increased crop yield and amazingly, it turns out there's virtually no evidence that they're actually effective. So there have been a whole swathe of studies, particularly from North America, uh, come out in the last year or two, where they've simply grown crops with and without seed dressing and found that they get exactly the same yield without the seed dressing as they do with it. Some actions are being taken to curb the use of neonics. In Europe, the European Union banned three neonics for a period of two years in 2013. 
The band targets neonics used on plants and cereals attractive to pollinators. In the United States, the Saving America's Pollinators Act was introduced in Congress in 2013. Earl Blumenauer was one of the sponsors of the bill. What we're attempting to do with this legislation is blow a whistle. Stop moving forward with the products within the next six months that uh, has this potential exceedingly damaging effect and prohibit their use until we're able to follow through on the research to prove that they're safe. But congressional action is unlikely anytime soon. In 2014, neonics were banned by the cities of Eugene, Oregon and Spokane, Washington on municipal property. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced plans to ban neonics from all wildlife refuges by 2016. And the White House launched an initiative to strengthen federal action to improve pollinator research and to protect pollinator habitat. There are things that we can't control or not easily regulate, things like climate change, even habitat loss are things that, that we can't control, but things like pesticides we can. Well, nature is, is pretty good at fixing itself, uh, but then that assumes that you're going to remove the pressures that we're putting uh, on it now. We depend on all these things. We depend on bees to pollinate our crops, on worms and other organisms that live in soil to keep the soil healthy and so on. If we wipe them all out, then ultimately we'll wipe ourselves out. The Magic Mushroom Hour with your host, Omega. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow night. The law is the law. Hmm. I never looked at it quite like that. 